Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. The NFL schedule is officially out. So we have 17 games to discuss this week on Pod Like a Raven. Alright, so maybe we won't discuss all 17 games this week, but we will absolutely be looking at the entirety of the Ravens' schedule and figuring out how they can have a 17-0 season that leads them to the postseason and the Super Bowl. I'm Antonio Barbera, and with that and some news to discuss this week on Pod Like a Raven, and uh, starting off with sort of a, a, a somewhat sad note, only a two-man booth this week. No Jace Evans, he had to go off and have a life and have better things to do and travel and go on vacation and all that good stuff. So it's just the two of us. So I'm going to bring in my co-host for the episode, Tim Horsey. Tim, how's it going, man? Good. Uh, I actually just returned from a trip to uh, Boston slash New England area to see a buddy of mine. And uh, I'm dedicated to this podcast, so I planned my vacation around Pod Like a Raven rather than, you know, intentionally taking off so he doesn't have to do the show. The good people appreciate it, Tim. I know, I know that. Uh, and I am a man of the people. We've been, we haven't had an episode in two weeks, so it just seems like Jace could have, uh, you know, worked, worked some plans could've. around this. Uh, and I say that when I will absolutely be missing. I think maybe our next episode because I will have some vacation of my own. But we can address that uh, down the road. For this week, we have obviously the schedule to talk about um, the NFL and all the teams' respective social media teams just going above and beyond and maybe going too far with all of their respective uh, overproduced three to four minute videos of showing each team's schedules. And we're going to break down the Ravens schedule, uh, figure out where maybe the rough patches are, figure out why the scheduling gods put all their division games late in the season uh, and, and sort through the rest of the NFL's schedules as well find some some fun games but first we have a couple of news items to touch on relating to the ravens uh, and i'm going to start with tight end nick boyle reworked his contract uh he was set to make something like five million dollars this season and they finagled it to where the number is lower but now he gets the signing bonus and this that and the other the real point of this is two things number one Boyle agreeing to do this basically kept him on the roster, uh, in my opinion, uh, because his cap hit was too high for a guy who has not really been productive for two seasons now. Uh, and the second thing is that it gave the Ravens an extra $2.65 million in cap space, which is necessary for these rookie contracts and maybe giving them an opportunity to sign uh, a cheap veteran free agent for some spots that they definitely still need. Tim, uh, Nick Boyle's deal being reworked. Do, do, first of all, do you agree that this keeps him on the roster, or is it mostly just like a 
you'll make the same amount of money in the in the long run. We just this be a team player here. I think it gives them a better chance. Um, you know, obviously the Ravens drafted two tight ends in the NFL draft: Isaiah Likely and Charlie Kohler. Uh, Mark Andrews is there. Nick Boyle, though, brings a different uh, skill set to this team, and we saw how valuable that skill set was when he was on the field uh, two seasons ago as a blocking tight end is basically an extra tackle. Now, with that, with four tight ends and a guy named Patrick Ricard who tried to enter the free agent market with kind of trying to get sort of tight end slash fullback slash weapon money, Maybe it means that Boyle is is the odd man out there. It's going to come down to one of those games. I don't think Boyle really plays special teams. Uh, from what I remember, I could be proven wrong on that. And so it, he might, you know, kind of be the 54th man on a 53-man roster when it finally comes to it, which is sad because I think he brings something really, really important to the Ravens. But these are the, the decisions, excuse me, that you have to make. And when you have, again, Patrick Ricard, who a, a slightly different position, but basically does the same thing Boyle does. And then you had two rookies on, you know, significantly less deals and guys that they, they drafted literally two tight ends almost back-to-back. So they figure that at least one of those guys they want to, to work out, essentially. I think it makes it tough. Yeah, I, it gives him a chance to stay on the roster. But as, as many have noted, including Jeff Cerebeck of The Athletic, he, he, this just shows that he has to stay healthy. He has to be in camp. He has to show that he's ready to contribute. And if he's not then, yeah, I think it might be um, – unfortunately, Nick Boyle's time in Baltimore might be limited. Yeah, he, he was sort of like the the spoon that stirs the drink when the Ravens' running game was sort of at its peak and the, the their RPO was at its peak in that 14-2 and two season. So you would you – know, the goal for fans is that he returns to – that just blocking ability, that versatility that he showed. The official numbers uh, for this, for, for those math nerds uh, in the listenership, Boyle's $5 million salary lowered to $1.12 million with a $2.63 million signing bonus plus $1.25 million via incentives. So those numbers, in my quick math, basically total five, but... 1.25 of that is now incentive-based, and there's some cap space. So we will see another tight end that Tim did not mention. Is technically on this team is Josh Oliver, and, and as this room is getting right. tighter and tighter, he's you know more than an odd man out. He's like oddest man out, and I don't know how he stays on the team at this point. Once we get to, I suppose, if there's no injuries uh, over the summer, I don't see a spot for Josh Oliver with those two. Um, drafted rookie tight end. So we'll see. Uh, in theory, there's a lot of dudes, so a lot of guys pick the best four, uh, and the tight end room will be another stacked position group again for the Ravens. I think, another too, deal. sorry, Antonio, yeah, sure. apologies. I didn't mean to cut in there. I just think, too, it's an, another emphasis on a point that this offense might be changing a little bit, and let's let's be honest, it has to change. You know, we talk about Kohler and Isaiah Likely. They're both more receiving tight ends. Likely more of your big play guy, Kohler, the guy out of Iowa State, as Jace mentioned, very much a you know third and seven, get eight type of dude that helps move the sticks. Big body that Lamar can throw to. Mark Andrews is you know the best tight end in the National Football League as of last season, so can pretty much do it all. And maybe they have to move away from just having a dude that's really there for blocking and blocking only. And in a weird way, that's exciting. Um, but you know if 
if the offense actually isn't changing and Greg Roman continues to prove that, you know, he doesn't know how to make adjustments, then, you know, it could be, it could be really bad news that we don't really think about as the season goes on. And when your wide receiver room is what it currently is, yeah. you, you can't have all these extra, well, he's a really good blocker, dudes. Need some tight ends who can, multiple tight ends who can actually catch passes and run routes and break tackles. So, yeah, we'll see what, uh, how that group shakes out. Uh, and the other deal that the Ravens did in the past few weeks was sign running back Mike Davis. We all saw this one coming. We all know who Mike Davis is. I say both of those things in jest. Uh, Davis has essentially been a reserve running back for eight years with one, two, three, four, five different teams. Uh, most recently, the Atlanta Falcons, where he played in cell 17 games, but only had 500 rushing yards, 3.6 yards per carry. His career average is 3.7 yards per carry. Tim, we've done a little bit of research on this. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit pre-show, but I'm going to just ask the question again to pose it for our listeners. What kind of sign, why? What are we doing with this type of guy? Why sign a player like Mike Davis based on his sort of track record and the number of running backs that the Ravens already have? I, I am way higher on this than you are, interestingly well, I'm just I'm, t- I'm not low on it. I'm just teasing it in terms of... Uh, Let's jump into the discussion here. Look, best case scenario, he doesn't see the field as much because Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins are ready to come back and they're fully healthy and ready to go. Maybe worst case scenario, he's the Devontae Freeman of this team and carrying the load. Uh, and, I, and personally for me, a better version of what Devontae Freeman was last season uh, because J.K. and Gus uh, aren't quite ready to fulfill their roles yet. Um, I think... He provides something a little bit different. It's interesting. You know, Mike Davis looks like a bowling ball as a running back, which then you immediately think between the tackles, two yards and a cloud of dust type guy, and his, his yards per carry average, might it might look like that. But in two seasons, in 2020, when he was basically played, he started 12 games and featured in 15 games because Christian McCaffrey can't stay on the field when he was in Carolina, he ended up. Getting, he had 59 receptions for 373 yards. He was an option out of the backfield for uh, whichever quarterback it was in Carolina in 2020. I maybe Teddy Bridgewater. I Probably more than one or right, two. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then even, even last year, yeah, Cordero Patterson kind of took over that role, a really good story, kind of turned into the whatever weapon. Mike Davis, you know, he only started eight games, but he still had 44 receptions out of the backfield. So I think, again, kind of with the Boyle thing, the Ravens, you know, we joke about like the Ray Rice days when it was check down to Ray Rice, check down to Ray Rice all the time. This is a bit different for them. This is very, they did not really throw to their running backs a lot, it seemed like, especially last season, unless it was kind of desperation time. And maybe Mike Davis provides a little bit of an option. And more importantly for me, you know, Tyler Batty, people want to be excited about a six round pick. Who knows? It's a six round pick. This, if you're two guys, your J.K. Dobbins and your Gus Edwards, who let's you know, let's let's not kid ourselves here. They need to be healthy for this team to be successful next season. But if they're not, if they're not ready to go week one, and who knows with those ACL injuries, I think it's a pretty reliable backup to you know basically run through the AFC East until we get into like week five, week six, week seven. The, either the same day or the next day. After the Ravens signed Davis, they then withdrew the free agent tender on Tyson Williams, which essentially just makes him a free agent and also shows 
that the Ravens were not going to sign him, were not going to keep him. So Tyson Williams, boy, uh, a brief but shining light, in my opinion, for the Ravens. I liked him. He was a guy in that running back room after we lost Edwards and Dobbins who could actually break tackles and run away from people. Got into the Harbaugh doghouse, never really saw the light of day again, uh, and officially now <laughs> basically gone and will no longer be a Raven. So it's sort of, I mean, you're replacing a guy in Tyson Williams that the coaching staff did not love because he was making essentially mistakes, missing assignments, you know, making mental mistakes, and you replace him in the room with a veteran that in theory does all those things right or else he would not still be in the NFL as a reserve running back after this many seasons. So in that respect, uh, I like the move. I assume Mike Davis does not play any special teams at this stage of his career. So he will have to, as Tim mentioned, assuming that Dobbins and Edwards are good to go, he will have to wrestle that third back role uh, from Justice Hill, who was another sort of question mark at this point, and Tyler Batty. Uh, but we'll see. You know, another veteran, just the most classic of Ravens uh, May, April, May signings, a one-year deal. Uh, I have not seen the money anywhere, so I don't, I don't actually know how much, but I would assume it's more than $1 million and less than $3 million, <laughs> somewhere like that. Um and then outside of the Ravens' moves, this is sort of a, a move that happened parallel to the Baltimore Ravens, and this is Jarvis Landry, who was a free agent. A lot of stories, a lot of ideas about him becoming the perfect Raven. Um, instead, signing with the New Orleans Saints, uh, Tim added uh, a great uh, tidbit here that uh, I'm going to actually... I'll, I'll, give this to the listener i'm going to give them five seconds to guess in their own minds what jarvis landry should get on a one-year deal uh as a free agent think about it think about it think about it i bet your number was more than three million and that is what jarvis landry is getting in a one-year deal which then led baltimore land to scream and kick and shout if it was only three million why couldn't the ravens get him why wouldn't he play for the ravens tim uh are you Fine with Jarvis Landry not being a Baltimore Raven at that, considering that that price was all it took for him to go elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, one year, three million, three million in incentives. Um, the discourse around the Ravens and the receivers and all this—it's a family show, but I'll just say BS—is part of is part of the reason I hate that my the job that you know pays me so meagerly forces me to be on social media. I can't stand. Ravens Twitter and I and I follow a lot of people on it because we do this podcast and I like to try and be in the know but there's so many people screaming that the you know there's going to be no receivers is the death of this team and they can't have these youthful guys but then there's other people screaming that you know they they can't bring in a ton of veteran presence because you have to believe in these young bucks when frankly as most Twitter arguments go it's somewhere in the middle they definitely need a veteran presence, I think, um, but I still believe in the growth of a guy like Devin DuVarnay, um, you know, I, in the growth of a, of a Rashad Bateman. And then the fact that we just mentioned earlier, there are a million tight ends on this team, and I, I, I don't know. The, the Kohler and Likely picks, to me, look pretty sensational. I, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see 
and maybe I'd be more excited with a different offensive coordinator. That's two shots already, uh, 15 minutes into this podcast. But maybe I'd be a bit more excited if, if, we, if I had, you know, I'm throwing out a name here, but a Sean McVay type of offensive coordinator who just does crazy crap with his, his personnel sets and things like that. Um, the other thing with Landry, too, everybody could scream about the number, right? He's from New Orleans. He went to LSU. He did the whole let's run it back with Honey Badger and go back to where it all started. He did he did this with OBJ in Cleveland. He wanted to play with his former LSU buddy in Cleveland. We all know how that worked out. And so I don't think the Ravens were ever going to compete. Um, he's 30 years old in, in uh, this season. Excuse me. I think it's I believe it's November. He'll be 30 years old. And you're not going to – for a guy that wants to play in his hometown and all the – and look – you know, hindsight 2020 or whatever, and he can say it now that he signed with New Orleans, but all the PR around this is Jarvis is coming home. Landry's coming home. He's even tweeting, I'm excited to be home. And frankly, remember, he fought with Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters a couple of times via social media and on the field. So maybe he didn't want to play with those dudes in Baltimore. Maybe he just doesn't like them. I don't know. And and, and the other the other issue I have with this as well, and look, this is for smarter people than I, Jarvis Landry, great player. But if you're trying to get Rashad Bateman to really take over that role, isn't that kind of the same receiver? You know, Landry's not your blow-the-top-off-the-defense guy, and I almost think that it stagnates a guy like Bateman who, yeah, you're taking a risk betting on him to be wide receiver one, but that's also why you spend a first-round pick on him last year because you're expecting him to be wide receiver one. That's how these things work. So... You know, you look at some of the guys that are still out there. Uh, PFF has a great tracker here of available, you know, position breakdowns. And, and you look at their, their top list here. It's, it's the likes of Deshaun Jackson, T.Y. Hilton, Emmanuel Sanders, Will Fuller are the four names that I pop out. And then the Antonio Brown, never going to happen. We don't even have to talk about it. And OBJ, never going to happen. Or if it does happen, uh, I don't even know what I'm going to do because that just seems ridiculous to me. But Emmanuel Sanders, a guy that – a bit of a speedster. T.Y. Hilton would be the most stereotypical Raven signing of all time. And a guy who maybe can't blow the top off the defense anymore, but poses a little bit of that deep threat. Deshaun Jackson, the same. Will Fuller is the one where if Jarvis Landry getting one year, three million, you can bring in Will Fuller in August, one year, 1.5 million. And it's like, hey, if he can, if he can stay healthy for 10 games, 12 games, and that's just a dude that you can throw on the side and say, we're running go routes all the time to open up this offense. I think that I just money wise and fit wise, I think it fits. So the discourse of do you think the Ravens have to go after it? If they're not, is their season over or no, you don't even trust those young guys. Trust the process. It's in the middle. I still think they need to find an option. I just don't think one, they were ever in the competition for Jarvis Landry, no matter how many people wanted to link the, the two. And two, I just don't know if he fits. You're looking for cheaper Hollywood at this point, and that's not Landry's game. Now, look, I would have enjoyed him on the team. Like, him and Bateman is a formidable duo with a guy like Duvarnay to be, and maybe that's your guy that blows the top off the defense, and then people say, well, then you can have Landry, Bateman, and Duvarnay as your deep threat, whatever. I, when I look at that number, I just go, well, he was going to go to New Orleans. If, if New Orleans was interested, he was going there, and, and there was no reason for Ravens fans to get upset about it, but they're one of the most, for whatever reason, spoiled fan bases in the National Football League, or maybe we just have to deal with it. 
So they, so everybody, you know, blew their lid over something that I just didn't think was ever going to happen. I agree with all this. Uh, maybe well, more that's than boring. anything that T.Y. Hilton is the most yeah, that's uh, happened, likely Raven signing of all time. I mean, that, he said on the, the Pat summer. McAfee show, sorry, not to cut in, he said on the Pat McAfee show last offseason that Baltimore offered him more money, and he was like, I want to go back to the Colts. The Colts don't want him again. Maybe DaCosta just says, hey, buddy, uh, we're not going to offer that deal we had you last year, but there's a spot. The issue, okay, the one thing I'll disagree, not the one thing, but the thing I'll disagree with is that as a guy who wants good football teams and good football players, T.Y. Hilton is Sammy Watkins. Jarvis Landry is like a cut above that, and if the price was $3 million, then it wasn't a guy that was super out of reach. This is a five-time Pro Bowl player who was hurt a little bit last season. He played in 12 games, but is not like a washed receiver where I think we kind of thought Sammy Watkins was at that point, and the Ravens have done that so many times. And the Jarvis Landry, in my opinion, would have been the, like, two years before that level of receiver. You still would have had a season or two of him at near prime football playing and the Ravens room right now needs better than T.Y. Hilton if Rashad Bateman who I believe is wide receiver one made catches last year like I I agree with what you were saying in terms of what type of receiver he is um but you know the, the, the third and seven guy but also had some deep catches and had some you know super like out jump somebody for the ball uh on a deep route but if he's hurt, if he tweaks a hamstring and misses two games, right. it's, I mean, it's like a, it's a JV team at that point. There is zero depth at this position. And he is a guy who in his rookie season was already hurt and had to have a surgery and missed whatever it was six, the first six games of the season. If he has anything, then this room becomes Devin DuVernay, James Prochet, Tylen Wallace, who I think the three of them this past season had like, 30 catches combined yep. maybe uh that's bad <laughs> that's that's a problem so they will get somebody they will add one of these type dudes later in the summer but i want them to get half not you know not Devontae adams a half step up guy because we've already seen so many times these 32 year old plus wide receivers who just don't really have anything left and I think Jarvis Landry was that half step before that where you were still going to get like 60 catches from him, uh, even in a wide receiver two role. Yeah, it's fair. And I don't disagree with that. And I think it, it would be much better for them to do the Anquan Bolden trade a couple draft picks Oof. next year. Right. And, and they've been trying to get that ever since. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Steve Smith, we love him here, but he wasn't a success. They didn't win anything with Steve Smith. He was... He was fine, and that was the closest thing they had to Bolden since Bolden. And, and that's what you may, maybe look for. I'm trying to think, you know, the, 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 the Reddit I bored on my phone and can't fall asleep one is Tyler Lockett because people think that, you know, Seattle is trying to rebuild. DK is never going to happen, so maybe Tyler Lockett. Seattle, by all accounts, doesn't think they're rebuilding. They think Drew Locke is the guy, whatever. So maybe, it, maybe it's not him, but a guy like that where they can go, look, We'll sacrifice one of our precious third-round picks and a fifth and, you know, maybe a player or something and, and, and upgrade. I, and, and the depth thing, I think, you nail. Like, 
this is assuming everyone's healthy. <laughs> Did you just watch last season? Not everybody's going to be healthy, and, and the wide receiver room, anybody, any one of those dudes goes down as currently constructed, there's a problem. The only thing I, you know, we don't have to go back and forth. I push back on, and this is pure speculation, I push back on the price. I think that's, I think that's a New Orleans price. That ain't a Baltimore price. I don't think the Ravens are get, getting Jarvis Landry for one year, $3 million with $3 million in incentives. I think it had to be more than that, and they weren't willing – you know, they either didn't like the fit or they weren't willing to pay it. Devin DuVernay last season, 33 catches. I am, I am actually pleasantly surprised by that number. James Prochet, boy, looks so oh good in God, camp. Don't even. Six, 16 catches. Tylen Wallace, two catches. Uh, time to step up, guys. Let's see Prochet. Let's see that, that jugs machine out, out early at 5 a.m. this summer uh, because we're going to need more production from you. And now, basically, we're going to have the same exact conversation, Tim, but instead of wide receiver, the position group is now edge rusher, because also, in the last few days, the Dolphins signed uh, Melvin Ingram to a one-year, $5 million contract. Uh, Ingram started the season with the Steelers, uh, ended the season with the Chiefs, and did not have huge sack numbers, but was absolutely disruptive and was turning heads during the Chiefs' postseason run. Still looked like a guy with a lot of juice, um, just in terms of like getting to the quarterback, but maybe not having a sack, which, thank goodness, Jace isn't here because he likes his quarterbacks on the ground. He likes official sacks, not just QB hits. I mean, Melvin me Gordon, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but Melvin Ingram, um, now off the market with the Dolphins, so we turn now to Edge Tim, where it's essentially the same exact conversation. Uh, he would have been a nice pick, a nice type of player for the Ravens, getting that veteran. Um, do you think they still need an edge? Uh, Justin Houston, they have, what is it, like a tender on him? So, like, that, yeah. other teams have to outbid that number, essentially, to, to steal him away. How, do you know how that works? Yeah, so actually, I just pulled it up here because what happened is with Justin Houston, uh, two weeks ago, they used the UFA unrestricted free agent tender on him. And so this is just coming from... Uh, the ESPN article on this, which, by the way, the Chiefs did this with Melvin Ingram. So essentially what happens is if another team signs the player, Justin Houston, it's not exclusive rights, but if they sign the player before July 22nd or the first day of training camp, whichever is later, the former team, uh, you know, being the Ravens or the Chiefs with Melvin Ingram, obviously, uh, that counts towards their uh, compensatory formula. Hey, guess what the Ravens love? Compensatory picks in the national in the NFL draft. That's why they use this now. If if Justin Houston is not signed before whichever one of these dates occurs last, uh, then the Ravens do get exclusive rights, quote, uh, negotiating rights to the respective player at 110 percent of their 2021 salary. So just above what they were making the previous year for Houston, it was 1.18 million dollars. Uh, so he's 33 years old right now, four and a half sacks. Look for the, for the edge conversation. Yes. I, I absolutely think they need an edge. I think Dalen Hayes showed promise injury. Tyus Bowser is what he is. Injury. Adafi Owe progressing in year two, but 10, 10 sacks this year. Right. Yeah. We'll see progressing, but not, I'm not ready to make him the number one pass rusher and also off season surgery. So, there's there's a hole there and i and for me personally and look you, you could just say well all you care about is offensive defensive line and you care way more about defense than you do offense and you know what you're right but i think this i think edge rusher for me is a, is a bigger need based on 
who is there and who is healthy, frankly. Um, and I don't know. Maybe they're waiting for a Justin Houston deal, and then they'll then they have other irons in the fire, or they're they're playing the long game here. And if nobody signs Houston, they're they're more than willing to bring him back um, as a you know spot rotational role uh, in this defense. But yeah, I think it, I think it's absolutely essential uh, for them for them to grab somebody, some other names that come out. Uh, Anthony Barr, the outside linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings for a while. I don't. I'm not to be honest. I'm not sure if he's played with anybody else. Uh, Justin, Justin Pierre-Paul, who, you know, wasn't the force that he used to be with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but he's still out there on the market. And, and Antonio's favorite, Jadavion Clowney, is still out there, still probably going to command a fee that he is not worth because he's one of the most overrated players in National Football League history based on, you know. Would have would have led the Ravens in sacks and QB hits last season. Don't disagree with that. I just... 100%. But uh, for, for whatever reason, because Clowney, you know, the high school number one recruit, the incredible hit in that bowl game and number one overall pick, what have you, is, go, is continuing, continually demanding a price that I don't know if the Ravens are willing to match. But, hey, maybe that changes this year. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. If the wide receiver issue is significant, the edge rusher issue is maybe even worse. I, I don't know if they're going to have a week one starting edge rusher at all with the current group of players they have because of Tyus Bowser, we don't, you know, that the timetable for any tear is always, you know, could be longer than anticipated. Odafeowe, as Tim mentioned, is like a developing player. He will start. Is he a guaranteed starter on a team that has really good edge rushers? I, I guess, maybe. Um... It's the second most important position in the National Football League, after quarterback. Maybe left tackle, but I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's having a good quarterback and then having players who can go get the other team's very good quarterback. And the Ravens have not made significant strides with this since the departure of Terrell Suggs, and I don't like it, and I want a stud <laughs> at yeah. that position. Yeah. I get it. Odafeo is a first-round pick. He's supposed to be that. We need more. I, th- I think they need two veterans at this point, with based on what the room is right now. Jalen Ferguson has not done anything. No. <laughs> we're, we're in year four of waiting for Jalen Ferguson to have more than two sacks in a season. Like, Remember Sack Daddy? Oh, gosh. Yeah, David Ajabo. Like, I'm looking at the Our Lads depth chart, right. who does a really good right. job with the depth charts, uh, a useful resource for guys like us. But you look at the Rush and the, the Sam, you know, the outside linebackers, essentially. Starters are Adafi Owe and Tyus Bowser. The backups, second string is David Ajabo. He is not going to play this season, most likely. He, like, they said, well, he's recovering really quickly. I don't think so. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe late in the year as a very rotational piece. Then you have Sack Daddy. And he's not going to be good. Yeah, like, right. he's not going to be in the best shape. He's not going to have the football Not He's going to be like a week one rookie, basically, 100%. in January. 100%. Then you have Jalen Ferguson. <sighs> you have Dalen Hayes, who I mentioned, who looked good in preseason, but he's coming off a torn ACL. Who knows what the deal is there. And then a guy named Chuck Wiley, who, Sure. I, I've never heard of Chuck Wiley. Where's 53, though? Good number, especially in the Ravens font. But, um, yeah, it, it's I, – I think I'm with you. I think if we put a poll up amongst Ravens fans, based on Twitter and based on people just wanting the, the sexy pick, I think a lot of people would say wide receiver. But the people in the know, like the, guy, the pod like a Raven host, would say that edge rusher is – is huge because you have to get to the quarterback. I don't I don't care how many dudes you have in your secondary. You look at the secondary, it's stacked and and rightfully so. 
But at the same time, any receiver is going to be open if the quarterback can sit there for seven seconds. I don't care how good Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Williams, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Peters, all of them are. They're going to struggle if nobody can get to the quarterback and, and force the guy off his spot. Just imagine the frustration, Tim, watching those games. No, down, no. And you just hear, oh, he's got loads of time back there. <laughs> and a seven-second count ends up being enough time to get away from Marlon Humphrey, which it is enough time. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, if on a scale of one to five, the urgency level, I'd put wide receiver at like four, and I'd put edge at like seven. So that that's where we're at in my head for these two position groups. But it is the Ravens, and they they tend to figure this stuff out, especially over the summer. So they will get some kind of veteran dudes to fill the room, uh, and we'll convince ourselves that they're the answer, <laughs> and just ask them to hold on until the second half when Tyus Bowser will be healthy and Adafi Owe will have had, you know, the full rookie amount of starts mm. uh, under his belt, and uh, Ojaba will come out of the tunnel with excitement. Anyway, I got I got calm down. I'm getting heated. Tim, we're in May, and I'm getting heated over uh, personnel moves that the Ravens are making. So with that, we're going to turn, we're going to do the random Raven, and then turn to the schedule release. Uh, It's just two of us, and I'm up this week with the random Raven, so the pressure is on Tim. But I have good news for you, Tim. I did not pick, in my mind, I didn't like go deep, deep, deep down the depth chart, and I also did not take us to the 90s, uh, did not even take us to the early 2000s. I took us to... Not long ago, I took us to the post-Super Bowl Joe Flacco era. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> yes, the dark ages, which then. Some would say the dark ages. But uh, I did specifically go to 2014, which was, looking back, as we get, you know, what are that, eight years ago, has become one of my favorite, not one of my favorite, but a long-lost Raven team. Because they went to the postseason, they won a playoff game, they should have won in New England. That 2014 team had sauce. Uh and I'm devastated, will forever be devastated, that they couldn't take care of the Pats with two two touchdown leads in the postseason. But I digress, Tim. This random Raven played for the team for two seasons, 2014 and 2015, after being drafted in the third round, pick number 79, out of Florida State. Big expectations for this player were not met. I was going to say, I think I could stop right there, but we'll continue. I got it. Big expectations were not met when he struggled as a backup in his rookie season, which was cut short after 11 games when he tore his ACL. In his second year, his snap count went down dramatically from 245 in his rookie year to 67 in his second year, and he only played in 12 games and recorded only nine tackles. By the start of his third season, he was in a competition to stay on the roster after the team signed Eric Weddle and planned to move Lardarius Webb from corner to safety. And this random Raven ended up getting released just before the start of the 2016 season. After what seemed like a complete bust of a draft pick, he was then signed by the Eagles the next day and played another six seasons in the NFL with the Eagles, Jets, Patriots, and Texans and was recently re-signed by the Texans this offseason, and will again be an NFL football player in the year 2022. This player has only had six starts in an eight-year career, and will make about $12 million after the conclusion of the 2022 season. 
Tim, he, deep sigh. <laughs> Tim, do you, know, do you know this is? He is an active football player, recently re-signed with the Texans, what? and will play for them in 2022. Oh my I was shocked God. we had not done this player before. Uh, so I'm stunned because I have circled this guy about 12 times of like, this is a guy that I could do. Um, and yeah, third round out of Florida State, I immediately went, I thought that guy was going to be a superstar for the Ravens, uh, or at least, yeah. I don't know, competent, and he was not. Um, yeah, wow. The, another safety of the future after Ed Reed, who ended up not working out. Uh, yeah, all right. Well, we'll give the listeners some time to think about it. But, yeah, that is, uh, that's upsetting. Uh, I read in researching this random Raven that at the start of that third season, when the story was Lardarius Webb is moving to safety, or, you know, we're trying to move him to safety, it was like, well, he's going to get hurt. Webb is going to get hurt, so this player will have a lot of opportunities still. Instead, the player, said player, was... Released, and Lardarius Webb ended up playing and starting 16 out of 16 games in 2016, uh, and then played another 16 games in 2017, um, and became a beloved Raven. I-, I wonder if Lardarius Webb will squeeze into the Ravens' ring of honor uh, because of just he was like a beloved Raven, only played for them for his full career, did a lot of super like charitable stuff in the community, so we'll see. But anyway... This, uh, this random raven did not unseat Lardarius Webb uh, at the safety position, and we will go over that at the end of the episode. So let's turn now to the schedule released for all teams in the NFL, but we are going to focus specifically at this point on the Ravens' schedule. Tim, I'm going to break this into stretches of games, basically. I, I might do it four game at a time, four games here, five games here. So, And then at the end, uh, do a little over-under analysis on uh, what the line currently is and what we think you should be doing as a potential NFL sports gambler. But let's start with the start of this Ravens season, and it's at the Jets, home to the Dolphins, at the Pats, home against the Bills. Yes, if that sounds odd, it is odd, because it's four straight games against the AFC East. Tim, what? (laughs) What is this? Why are we doing this, and what's the confidence level with this uh, stretch of, of first four games? Yeah, I mean, the way this schedule breaks out is so weird to me. Uh, and we'll, we'll go through the later quadrants, but obviously this kind of pushes the division games down, which I don't love. Um, you know, we get the Tom Brady cakewalk, basically, where we get to beat up on some of the AFC East teams, although the Bills are, like, the best team in the National Football League now, so maybe it's not the same thing. Um, I don't love it. Again, only because I like having some of these ah, – look, and it's hard to say, and we're going to get into some buy or sell. Antonio has a, a really cool segment coming up later of certain things when looking at a schedule uh, you know, in May compared to September, October, November, and so on. Um, I think it's really weird, and I don't like it. Uh, I don't love the Pats and Bills back-to-back. I like starting with the Jets. I do enjoy starting with the Jets. A lot of chatter coming out of New York, Tim, uh, about the confidence going into week one. Good. A lot of chatter. Good, because they're going to face a pissed-off Ravens team. By the way, this is when I mentioned that Mike Davis was going to roll through the AFC East because we just played the AFC East to start the year. I I don't know if I – and again, I'm not, like, breaking down other people's uh, schedules or other teams' schedules constantly – I don't know if I've ever seen this or it's ever been brought up where it's just you're you're all your 
outside division games are all just packed into the beginning of the season. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know how to break it down in terms of the first four weeks, but what I will say is what it does to the rest of the schedule, I don't necessarily love. I would agree, but I th- I think it's a three and one start, and that's what I like. Oh, <laughs> I like so coming confident. out of the gates. Uh, I mean, Jets, Dolphins, Pats, uh, Tim. I'm, I'm into it. I'm into that three and zero start, and then the Bills is going to be that game that the Ravens lose by forty. I, I, we've seen that so many times in Ravens cycles. Uh, that's the home game that they get absolutely smashed, and all expectations come back down to earth. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the other three games I kind of like, and <laughs> we've talked about it in our first few segments. This is a, a season where, in theory, the Ravens should get healthier as the season goes along, and the depth should improve <laughs> as the season goes along. So push those AFC North games to later in the schedule. But yeah, I'm okay with the first four. I tell you what I'm not okay with is October, uh, and that's going to bake in this Bills game and then an additional four games. October is is the tough stretch, and this is what we talked about last season. I want to say that that stretch was in December, where it was like Steelers twice, Packers were in there, uh, and another really tough game that I can't... Maybe the Rams, I don't remember. There was another game that was really hard in a five-game stretch, and here it is this year. It is going to be Bills, Bengals on... What is that? Sunday night at the Giants, home against the Browns, and then at the Bucks. That's a difficult stretch of five games. There are two of those on the road. Uh, the easiest one of those five, the Giants, in theory, is one of those road games, which is going to make it more tough. Tim, would you rather have this stretch in October than in December? Uh, do you feel any bit better that even if they have losses here they have enough time to like right the ship and win some games late to get a postseason berth or are we just going to be sad and devastated when at the end of October the team has a losing record I mean for my own personal well-being I'm glad that it's in October because it's just not as stressful um I don't know I don't think you added the at Saints as well right before the bye week uh that's yeah the first week in November yeah yeah. yeah first week in November and so the Buccaneers is a Two away games against the two hardest teams in the in the NFC South. Thanks for that. Uh, both in prime time, by the way, which is just my favorite thing, and we'll talk about that later. At Bucks on Thursday night. Uh, so yeah, Tom Brady gets to just devour us again while the entire world is watching. And then at Saints on Monday night in one of the best atmospheres um, in the country, especially on prime time. Uh, those guys get to drink on Bourbon Street all day and then go into the Superdome. Not great. And I think that the Saints are actually a pretty good team if they can figure out the quarterback issue, which, you know, obviously is a massive thing. But outside of that, I think that that roster is loaded. Um, And even with Sean Payton being gone, Dennis Allen being in that system for them, I think makes them a contender, contender light, we'll put it. So, yeah, Uh, Bills, Bengals, Giants, Browns, Bucks, Saints is horrific i would argue it is not the hardest stretch and we'll talk about that in a little bit later um maybe just on paper yes but i think the hardest stretch is is when is later in the year when you have to play all your division games right at the end um even even if it's you know kenny pickett twice and whoever you know or the Bengals have the super bowl curse or what have you and we'll get to them at Bengals the end of the year 
what the hell? It's not fair. Again, it's not right. again, it's just absolutely like I think the Ravens for the next thirty-five years shouldn't have to play the Bengals on the final day of the season, which it just drives me crazy. But um, the only other point I have on this stretch too is uh, you notice the Browns game is Week Seven, right? And as of time of recording, it sounds like we are going to get some Deshaun Watson news later this week. He's going to be suspended for six games and then come back in week seven. That is 100% what's going to happen. As soon as I saw the schedule, I just went, yep, Rodgers here to us, and the, we're going to get Deshaun Watson's first game with the Browns in week seven, and it's just going to be miserable for everybody involved. Right. Couldn't have had a Browns game in the first four weeks. Week two, uh, you know? Yeah, no, we're too busy just traveling up and down 95 yeah. and playing the AFC North corridor teams. Horrendous. Uh and then you mentioned that Bucks Saints stretch. The week after that is Panthers. So then it's three games straight against the NFC South. Well, there, there is a is bye. No... There's a bye in between there as well. With a bye, but it's just the same again, one division with three games in a row. There's no balance to the schedule at all. Uh and I don't like it. I'm going to convince myself, obviously, later in the summer that I love it. Um after the Panthers game at Jags, home against the Broncos, at the Steelers, at the Browns, home to the Falcons, home to the Steelers, at the Bengals. So, yes, that's one, two, four of the last five games against the AFC North, two of the Steelers, one Browns game, one Bengals game. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, I'm not afraid of Kenny Pickett. I, I think we're at another era of Pittsburgh Steelers uh, sort of rivalry with this team. Um, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. But, of course, again, he'll have all season to uh, get that rookie, you know, whatever, experience, first-year experience under his belt, and then he'll be ready to go by our our two games late in the season. But it's a difficult schedule, I would say. Uh, Where do we have that bye, Tim? So the bye is is week 10, November 13th, followed by that Panthers game, as you mentioned, which – I'll set the line right now. Ravens by 14 and a half against the Carolina Panthers in that one. That's like the, the most confident I've been. But, but you talk about this back. And they don't. Co- oh, you, oh, I was going to say they don't cover that. <laughs> that oh, that's got trap game written all true. over Tim. That's a six point win. They win, but they win by six and everybody's panicking because, you know, uh, the backup left guard or somebody got hurt. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Pan- I, the, the end of this stretch is so interesting. Um, you know, the Panthers at Jags have to be two wins. The Broncos game is so annoying because it was the, oh, yeah, we get to play Drew Locke and now Russell Wilson's here. And, look, if you listen to this podcast, uh, I feel like every time we do preseason predictions, I'm all over the Broncos and be like, whoever they have as quarterback will just be enough because they're talented all across the board. And it ends up not working out. I think they finally solved that issue by basically telling John Elway he can't pick the quarterback anymore. Uh, so they went with a short king, and now they have Russell Wilson there. And then the final five, The final five. You, I mean, you mentioned it. It's at Steelers, at Browns, Falcons, Steelers, at Bengals. Three division games on the road, head-to-head matchups in one of the toughest divisions in football in, in games that will be two-point swings, essentially, if you're talking about like soccer terms or what have you. The Falcons, you should beat the brakes off the Falcons. Uh, they're they're what, could easily one of the worst teams in the league. And Eve, I you know, every year there are teams that surprise you, and that's why we love the National Football League. I, the Falcons aren't going to surprise anybody. They're one of the worst rosters in football right now, and I don't think that they're going to, especially at home. I think that's an easy win. Whoever's playing quarterback for them, but I hate 
having two Steelers games and three road division games to end the year. It makes no sense how unbalanced this schedule is. I'm not, you know, obviously not crying conspiracy or what have you. It just sucks. And um, I, I don't know. I don't know. You, you talked about the Ravens getting healthy again. I could easily see it being the other way where the Ravens are a bit banged up towards the end of the year. And like we mentioned before, instead of playing the – Case Keenum Browns? I don't know if he's still on the roster because it certainly ain't going to be Baker. Uh, the Baker Mayfield Browns? Ain't gonna be, no, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, they get to play the Deshaun Watson Browns twice. They get to play the Steelers later as the Steelers have figured stuff out rather than the Steelers early when they, they've got Mitchell playing quarterback or you know early, early Kenny Pickett who's still going through everything. Um, this Look, I, I don't necessarily – I have to see it with Pickett too. But this gives him longer and a better chance to figure it out before he plays Baltimore, which is just incredibly annoying. And then the Bengals, who knows? Like, you know, the 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 Super Bowl curse for the loser is a very real thing. I'm sorry. It just statistically is. But then you look at the Bengals roster and they're loaded. So maybe they can – and Joe Burrow is a consummate winner. And having to play them when the team is, what, 9-7 and – and they need 10 wins to get to the playoffs, and you have to go to Cincinnati, who might be struggling a little bit because they are feeling the effects of the curse, but they could win. If they win, then some other things happen. Maybe they could get into the playoffs too. That game probably gets flexed into like an incredibly important time slot, late 425 rather than our sweet, sweet 1 o'clock, and the, the, the team goes out. I hate it. I hate all of it. I, I usually talk myself into, uh, you know, as Antonio immediately texted us when we got the schedule, 12 and 5. Uh, spoiler alert, and we can get into this now. I'm feeling less optimistic because of the way the schedule plays out. It's it's rough to already know that your season is going to be based off of three or four two-point conversion attempts in December. Oh, God. Because Don't that's even. what it looks like with this, because those AFC North games are all going to be close, and the Ravens are going to go for two, and it's just... A, I, we, the 17-game season doesn't really matter. It looks like the Ravens will somewhat be in contention. They'll have AFC North games, and then they're going to have to convert those two-point conversions to win games or tie games or make it a four, five-point lead instead of a three-point lead or something stupid like that. So, uh, you know, Lamar, get in the lab. Get those two-point plays really well managed because there's going to be some coming in December and January that are going to make or break this team's playoff aspirations. However, Tim did foreshadow this nicely. Uh, the Ravens over-under for wins at this point in time is 9.5. We play 17 games, Tim. That means they got to go 10-7 and 7 to go over this number. 9-8, and 8, obviously, or anything below that. They would not cover this number. You said it, and I'm going to stand by it. I like 12-5. and 5. Uh, I'm an optimistic guy. This is obviously as in as it should be for just about every NFL team. I am making predictions based on my quarterback playing every game. Uh, if he plays 17 games, this team will go over. They will go over nine and a half. I have them at 12 and five with losses to uh, the Bills, the Bengals, the Bucks, uh, one of the Steelers games. And then some dumb fifth game. No Browns. No Browns. Maybe the 
I'm not afraid wow. uh, of the Browns because I think that they are cursed, Tim, and they deserve it. And I think they're going to have a bad season. Uh, they're going to think that Deshaun Watson, who, by the way, hasn't played football in like two and a half years, is just going to step in and be amazing. They've leveraged their entire future. They don't have picks. He's going to get suspended for a large chunk of games to start the season. Uh, I think they're going to start bad and never really recover. So, no, I got the Browns. Uh, I'm fading them hard uh, this season, and they deserve it um, for karmic purposes. And then they're not going to have picks for the next few years, and we're going to love it. So, no, I'm not too concerned about the Browns. Um, it's those four losses that I mentioned, and then a fifth game that just ends up being annoying, like at Jags or at Saints or something like that that is just stressful. But I'm taking over comfortably uh, nine and a half based on the team that they currently have and based on having a healthy Lamar Jackson week one. But your thoughts, Tim, on nine and a half wins? I think nine and a half is – this is why Vegas wins all the time. I think nine and a half is is – right on the money for what this season is going to be. And um, I'm going to go under. And when I say under, I think nine and eight. And it might not be enough to make the playoffs. And look, this is just me reacting in the moment now. Wait till we get to August. And I'm like, 17-0. This team looks awesome. <laughs> Ronnie Stanley's fully back. Tyus Bowser's great. David Ajabo actually is going to play in October, like they've said. Adape Owe. Never had a better training camp. Best shape of his life. Rashad Bateman, the new number seven, looks sweet in the preseason, and I'm all all in. But for now, I'm going to go very, very slight under. Um, I think nine and eight, ten and seven is right where this team is, um, especially with injuries. And I, ju- I just we don't have to go too long on this. I think a lot of people are just assuming everyone's going to come back healthy, and that's simply not what's going to happen. And so it's not going to be Ravens reloaded, at least to start the year. Um, and I think that might be a bigger concern than a lot of people uh, a lot of people are saying right now at the moment. There are uh, like premium odds for guessing the exact record. Uh, and so listeners agreeing with Tim's points, Looking at a nine and eight, like the odds of the Ravens finishing exactly nine. I think and it's eight one of those two. Seven, I think it's one of those two. They're probably pretty good numbers. Yeah, so that would be something to look at uh, as well. As we know, the NFL is competitive. All the good players were the AFC, uh, and the AFC North is very difficult. So, withstanding all of that and having a nine and eight or ten and seven season might be an interesting odds to look at. But all right, we will have plenty of time to talk more about that in the off-seasons. Let's turn to the NFL schedule. We don't have a ton to talk about here, but I'm going to go through some uh, some fun matchups, specifically early in the season fun matchups. Obviously, those are maybe a bit easier to predict as good matchups as opposed to two teams playing each other in Week 14 uh, because that may no longer be a good matchup. But at this point, a couple of Week 1 games... Buffalo will travel to the L.A. Rams as the Rams defend their title at home the first week of the season. Denver and Russell Wilson will travel to Seattle on Sunday night football in week one. That was This is why the Ravens' schedule is so messed up, Tim, because the NFL is so concerned with setting up like perfect matchups to start the season to get all these ideal ratings that then the Ravens have to do these bonkers yeah. schedule balances through 17 games. Anyway... Uh, in week three, the Packers will go to Tampa Bay. You got the two Hall of Fame quarterbacks going at it in week three. This will be yet another year of like, oh, we may never see these guys again. But we've been saying that for like five years, so who knows. 
Week four, it's Mahomes and the Chiefs going to Tampa Bay. That's another match. That's the future Hall of Famer against the current Hall of Famer. Week eight, Packers go to Buffalo. I kind of think that's like going to be an awesome game. Uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy that quarterback matchup. Cowboys travel to Green Bay week 10. I forgot this. That's like Mike McCarthy goes home kind of a situation. So he'll mess something up in Green Bay with two minutes left and the Packers will win that game. Tampa Bay will travel to San Francisco. This is just the Tom Brady-like revenge game. Has always been a 49ers fan. A lot of reports that he wanted to go to San Francisco this year uh, as like the the sort of dream homecoming last ride and the didn't really work out, and 49ers kind of said no thanks. So he'll go into that game and throw to four to five touchdown passes. Uh, and then Buffalo travels to Cincinnati in week 17. Uh, that could be another, in theory, fun game with a lot of playoff implications. Uh, or it could be a stinker by week 17. And then I just wrote down every AFC West game, because odds are those are going to be awesome matchups with good quarterbacks. Tim, I ran through a lot of games here, but... What are some of your favorites? What are ones that you have circled? Obviously, outside of the Ravens, uh, 17 games. But uh, what are some of these quarterback matchups you enjoy? What do you like? Yeah, a couple things. First of all, I mean, you mentioned it. um, Every AFC West game. And early better because by the end of the year, who the hell knows? Uh, It's really hard to tell. And that's why, look, content is king. And you have to write these top 10 lists and what have you. But a lot of these, I'm like, I just let's let's see what happens when the games start. Because it could be like... Jets, I don't know, Falcons is really good late in the year or whatever it is. It won't be, but it could be. Um, Based on your list here, a couple that you didn't mention, AFC West, it is Raiders-Chargers again, which is the Week 18 from last year that got the Raiders into the playoffs. Interesting rematch there uh, with all, you know, how all those teams reloaded. Week 6, if I'm looking at your list, it doesn't look like you have it. Bills at Chiefs, which produced one of the best playoff games uh, of all time. Uh, I think that will be an awesome matchup, and it's early enough to know. And then speaking of that, Chiefs team as well, and this is a little bit later down the road, but uh, Week 12, Rams at Chiefs. If you don't remember a couple years ago, that like almost perfect, if you like offense, so maybe not for me, NFL Monday night game where it was like 56 to 49 or something. This team's two really good colors too. You know, they're going to be doing like the color rush yellow versus the red or or like a blue versus the red, what have you. I think will look really nice. Uh, And both teams, you know, you expect to be very good offensively. So Rams chiefs should be fun as well. All right. Last segment that we're going to do here. Uh, Tim teased it a few minutes ago and it's a, it's a buy or sell. We're doing like the 30-minute ESPN sports talk show because, uh, you know, it's May and NFL games don't happen for another four months. But we're doing buy or sell. And what I thought of for this was as soon as the schedule comes out, there's this immediate just dump of information and stats about all these nebulous advantages that there's no actual statistical evidence to back up whether it leads to success or not. And in fact, it doesn't really just mean that a team will have success because of this factor. And a factor that I'm talking about, for example, is the strength of schedule based on the team's records from the year before. Every year that comes out, ooh, who has the hardest strength of schedule? But it's based off of information from the year before. And those teams have different quarterbacks, they have different draft picks, different coaches... So it ends up not really lending itself as as that good of a data point for future success. 
travel miles during the season. That maybe was a bigger thing when the players flew commercial uh, and didn't stay in five-star luxury hotels everywhere they went. The next that stat that comes out is, well, which team will travel the least uh, over the season? Because that's going to mean they're going to be better rested. Where does the buy fall? Is a primetime game good or bad? So I listed a couple of these. We're going to go through them. And, I mean, I'll offer my opinion, but really it's me tossing them to Tim. And we're going to see if Tim buys or sells this uh, as a legitimate thing in the NFL as the schedule comes out. So let's start first. Strength of schedule, Tim. Uh, do you buy or sell the importance of a team's strength of schedule heading into 2022? Out of everything that you have on this list, I couldn't sell this one harder. Um, I think it just doesn't matter. Parity is king in the NFL. That's why it makes so much money. Um, you have you have the likes of the New England Patriots dynasties, and you have teams that are well-run and consistently good. But the fact of the matter is, one of these teams is always way better than you thought, and one of them is always way worse, and most of them are a little bit better or worse than you thought uh, going into the season. So selling, sell, 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 sell. Couldn't sell harder. Uh, I probably should have pulled this up to start, but I will. Now that you've sold it, uh, I'll pull up the 2022 strength of schedule rankings. And the Ravens fall. Uh, so this is in reverse order, basically. So the 20, they're 23rd uh, out of 32 teams in terms of Number one being the hardest strength of schedule. So they're like somewhat in the positive, in theory, for strength of schedule, but I still agree with Tim. Russell <laughs> no, Wilson did not play for the Broncos last year. Like, Of course. That's already a change. Yeah. Uh, the L.A. Rams, fittingly, have the toughest strength of schedule um, based on records from last year. The next one, Tim, in the list here, travel miles during the season. This is one that got Raven attention because they have, like, the third or fourth fewest miles traveled this season. That's because they play all those games against the AFC East. Uh, and then they have games, like, road games are against Tampa, which is close, as opposed to a West Coast team. And then New Orleans, again, as opposed to, like, a Midwest team or something like that. So, for the Ravens and for all the other NFL teams, Tim, how relevant are travel miles during the season i'm selling this but only slightly i think you might be selling it a little bit more than i am um i think a team there, there are certain factors in the travel that could affect a team whether it's an east coast team two west coast games back to back what do you do do you go back home do you and then go back and then fly back out a couple days later do you stay out on the west coast how does that affect the team going forward i think those are real things uh every player and coach will say it's not i think it is and then it's been disproven by some of the analytics and stats guys but i think there's something to be said for west coast team going east and having to play a one o'clock game it's just a it's a body clock thing it really is and these are professional athletes they have all the tools and resources in the world to make sure that they're ready to play at peak performance uh for a whatever game but yeah, I, I, I think there are particular aspects of this that I might buy, but as a whole, travel miles during the season I'm selling. That being said, ecstatic that the Ravens aren't going very far. I think that's awesome. I think that that is a tiny little advantage in the bull crap of this schedule that we have. Yeah, I, I'm selling this as well. I just feel like we've had so many game previews where we talked about uh, like an AFC West team had to fly to Baltimore for a one o'clock game and therefore 
we had an advantage and then we looked more asleep at the wheel than that West team did. And I say that, and yet then I watched the Chargers last year against the Ravens, and they were asleep against yep. the Ravens, and they were a much better team than the Ravens probably, at least offensively, and they struggled mightily in that game and looked off. So, you know, it seems to be you can look at one game and then you look at another game and it's completely the opposite. Um, and just because there doesn't seem to be consistency with it one way or the other, I sell travel miles. They fly in private planes. Uh, they they have those nice seats that recline all the way flat, and then they go stay at a bed that is nicer than any bed I will ever sleep in. So I I True. sell I sell travel miles. Um, but we'll see. Uh, next up, the timing of Dubai, Tim. I do not have it up in front of me, but I will try to as your given your piece. But I think buys happen. By like week four this season, it's and it is a, yeah. it's a seventeen game season. I would not love a buy. I think in week four when there's an extra the seventeenth game and it's a slog. So I turn to you now. Do you buy or sell the importance of a buy being mid to late season as opposed to maybe in those first few weeks, or even it might be a negative. You know, if you don't have it until like week twelve or whatever it is, like the having the buy right in the middle of the season. I hundred percent buy this. Um, I buy having a later bye week uh, as a competitive team looking to get every advantage to stay just a bit healthier uh, for the stretch run. You know, momentum is king in the National Football League. Getting hot at the right time is king in the National Football League, especially in the playoffs. We've seen it over and over and over again with teams who may not be the best team, but they're the hottest team and they end up making a run, whether it's all the way or to win a Super Bowl. Um, you know, there is the exception that proves the rule where maybe an early bye week helps a particular team who had some early injuries and they, or a bad start. And then they get a, t- a chance to reset and figure it out and then go nuclear the rest of the season. But I think that is, um, you know, rarer than having a, a week 11, like we do bye week and being able to recuperate just a little bit with some of the niggling injuries, uh, to to make a good stretch run, so I'm buying. I'm buying the importance of the buy. Buying the buy is what I'm doing. Uh, so I did find it. Bye weeks start week six this year. I think they did used to start. It was like week, week four. four. Yeah. It was something crazy early that Harbaugh would end up ranting about whenever he had the opportunity. So I feel a little bit better uh, about it starting week six, but. They also continue until week 14, so I would be very annoyed if I were a team that didn't have a bye until or after playing 13 games. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to like weekly buy it, kind of how Tim weekly sold uh, the previous factoid. I'm going to weekly buy this. I just think there's too many examples of like Super Bowl winning teams that had a bad bye week. So I, you know, I, I think it is important, but I don't think it ends up being like a super determining um and then the most fun one i think because <laughs> it depends who you ask prime time games are actually bad for your team because of national spotlight and inevitably shorter weeks where because the prime time game might be on a monday might be on a thursday uh or even on a sunday night you know so it's like eight hours after a, your normal 1 p.m game so tim are you buying or selling the importance that primetime games actually suck for your team and that you want as few of them as possible. So Antonio knows the answer. Um, <laughs> but if maybe you're a new listener, buy, 
buy, buy, buy, and buy again. I hate primetime games. I hate primetime games with the new athlete that loves being all over social media and seeing all the criticism and and a quarterback, God love him, who basically responds to haters on Twitter and Instagram. And with a whole kit and caboodle, the entire national audience gets to see the team struggle to a 17-16 win because the Ravens love struggling to 17-16 wins, especially in prime time. Or, you know, have Justin Tucker boot 60-yard field goals to help you win a game against Detroit twice, by the way. One of them wasn't a primetime game. One was a Monday night game when we were in college way back when in the glory days of the University of Maryland. I am buying this for every reason that you laid out. For my own personal health, I hate them because then you end up getting way too drunk on a Monday, stress drinking while your team's playing. The Tuesday is just a, a wash or Sunday night to a Monday. I think the shorter week is tough, especially when you talk about the bye week, you know, refreshing a team like we mentioned before. This, you don't get that opportunity. And Overall, I just think bye weeks, or excuse me, primetime games are the worst. I can't stand them. I can't stand having to wait for my team to play the rest of the day. I like being done by four and relaxing through the rest of the schedule. But, but you know, kidding aside, even for the team, I don't think they're great as well. I think they put uh, a number of primetime games in one season, puts an, uh, a weight of expectation that the team can say over and over and over again doesn't bother them, that they can say is we're just focused on the next game. We like the pressure. Pressure makes diamonds or whatever the stupid phrase RG3 had uh, was a long time ago. But it subconsciously, I think it plays on you if, if you're the team. Like the Broncos, I think have seven prime, six or seven primetime games this year because everybody just expects that Russ is going to cook for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in like seven years or six or seven years, whatever it is. I saw that most teams have to play their way into primetime. They have not. I like that the Ravens only have three this year. If they're good, maybe they'll get some more. But, yeah, for me, the weight of expectation, the shorter weeks, and then for my own personal well-being, yeah, I- I'm buying the fact that primetime games are terrible. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm torn on this one. I'm, like, right in the middle uh, because I've, I've had such fun with primetime games that <sighs> the Ravens beat the Chiefs in primetime uh, in an amazing finish. The Ravens had an even better finish in beating the Colts in prime time. But we also had to deal with the LA or the Las Vegas Raiders game. We had to deal with the Miami Dolphins game last season. That was in prime time. That was one of the worst three and a half hours of my life. Yeah. Uh, they famously had other terrible prime time games. There's like a Jags loss in prime time that still haunts us from like seven years ago. So I'm sort of torn on, uh, then there's the, there was the Ravens-Browns primetime game, which was one of like the most awesome Ravens games of the last five years. The Lamar comes out of the bathroom slash training room with two minutes, the two-minute warning, and he just, Lamar's back out onto the field. That was like one of the cooler Ravens games of the Lamar Jackson era. So I really do go back and forth. I will side with Tim on this because it is because of the travel thing, because it is annoying for a team to play on a Sunday and then have to play another game you know, four days later, basically on a Thursday, and that is absolutely not their best product, and the games tend to stink on on Thursdays. Uh, so I'll side with Tim, but I'm not nearly as, as I would say, as as far. I'm a slight buy uh, on I actually want teams to have as few primetime games I'm, as possible. I'm putting my future mortgage up and buying <laughs> this take. Uh, and that's it, Tim. Any other ones that come to mind? Any schedule... Uh, 
schedule things, blips that come up for, for buy or sell? I'm buying the fact that it's stupid that we have to play an entire division to start the season. I'll buy that. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll absolutely buy that. And I'm also buying that it's stupid that four of the last five games are against the AFC North. Yep. Um, all right, that's pretty much it for us. I'm going to go over this random Raven one more time. Tim was all over it by clue one. Uh, so we'll see about uh, uh, the listener, how long it takes you guys to figure this out. So this random Raven played for the team for two seasons, 2014 and 2015, after being drafted in the third round, number 79 overall, out of Florida State. Big expectations for this player were not met when he struggled as a backup in his rookie season, which was cut short after 11 games when he tore his ACL. In his second year, his snaps went down dramatically from 245 to 67, and he only played in 12 games and recorded only 9 tackles. That's not good. By the start of his third season, he was in a competition to stay on the roster after the team signed Eric Weddle and planned to move Ladarius Webb from corner to safety, and this random Raven ended up getting released just before the start of the 2016 season. After what seemed like a complete bust of a pick, he was then signed by the Eagles the next day and played another six seasons in the NFL with the Eagles, Jets, Patriots, and Texans and was re-signed by the Texans this offseason and will again be an NFL football player in 2022. This player has only six starts in an eight-year career, and I'm pretty sure three of those starts have come in the last, like, two seasons. Uh, And he will make $12 million as a career NFL player after the year 2022. Tim, who is this random Raven? Um, This is a man who was on my Mount Rushmore of guys I thought were going to be awesome. Write that down for the offseason, by the way, uh, as we get into more of the doldrums, I should say. Uh, This is Terrence Brooks, the safety out of Florida State. That is correct. It is Terrence Brooks. He played for the Texans. First of all, he's played every year since 2014. Uh, Absolutely insane. Was on the Texans last year. Started in three games, which was as many games as he had started in his previous seven years combined. And was then re-signed by Houston, who is not a good football team. But good for Terrence Brooks because his career could truly have been over uh, after getting cut by the Ravens. And he has turned this into, like, dare I say, a lucrative career where he has stuck around. He's a, he's a keep-getting-them-checks guy. The an NFL version of a keep-getting-them-checks guy. So good for Terrence Brooks. But that is absolutely the random Raven. Well done, Tim. Uh, in a two-man booth situation where the pressure was on. So, uh, yeah. Any final words, Tim? Feeling... feeling okay about the schedule feeling bad about the schedule i mean i'm feeling terrible about the schedule now i've 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 this is the most pessimistic i've felt about this team since uh this season ended which is not oh, great no. i know um i wasn't feeling that way to start but now that we uh now that we're here i'm i don't know I, let's let's put it this way to, to end on a positive note nowhere to go but up from here how about that tim they were in all those games with like half a team and a backup quarterback yeah, I, oh, I, I, I know i know i know well, I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll get there at some point. We have the summer. We're going to work this summer on getting Tim's optimism and confidence up for Tim Horsey and Antonio Barbera. And a missing but missed Jace Evans. Thank you guys very much for listening to us here on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you, very likely, in two weeks.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 